Well, it's been a blessing looking at the superlatives this week. You saw Sunday superlative mediator. You saw Monday that Christ is superlative to the angels. Tuesday, a superlative salvation. Wednesday, superlative blood. Thursday, superlative sacrifice. Today, a superlative faith. And all of these are leading to a superlative people. But that's an odd name, so we just call it the church. That is the intent of the book of Hebrews. To show you a bride that he has prepared for himself. The great kingdom. And I have to admit, think, okay, I, sorry, I'm thinking in two languages still. It takes me a little bit to just preach in one. I almost went off in Spanish. Um, it, it, Felipe stood here Wednesday and he said, if he was going to preach something out of Hebrews, it wouldn't be Hebrews 9. Well, I was calculating, I'm 101 sermons into Hebrews. And I've been reading Hebrews for the last three years every week. And if there was one text I could pick out of Hebrews to preach, it'd be chapter 9. If there was one I was going to leave behind to not preach, it would be 11. So, and, yet, and yet here we are. But let me tell you why. Hebrews is doctrine, 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 doctrine. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And then you come to chapter 11. Evidence, doctrine, doctrine. And it's just a weird chapter in the midst of this book. And it's some weird verses that we're going to see tonight in the midst of this book. But if you were going to ask me this evening, or any time, who is your favorite Baptist theologian? That's easy. I have a picture of him on my wall, John Owen. Some of you will get that in a minute. If you were going to ask me, what is your favorite Baptist systematic theology? That's easy. You can take Grudem. You can take Burkhoff. I'll take the Second London Confession. Systematic theology. If you're going to ask me why those two, they have one thing in common. What sets them apart is the book of Hebrews. Both of them. Owen and the Second London Confession. What divides our confession from other confessions, the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. Doctrine of the Hebrews. So if you're going to ask me, what is my favorite biblical systematic theology, the book of Hebrews? It systematizes the whole Bible in one letter. And in the midst of that, you've got this strange chapter. So I want to introduce this with three questions to you this evening. You have heard the doctrine of the book of Hebrews this week. And I must ask what the book of Hebrews does is in its warnings. Do you believe it? Have you mixed your hearing with faith in your heart of the gospel? Second, how is this evident in your life? And third, how does this believing affect your hope? So I want to look at our text. We don't have enough time tonight, so our text. Now faith is 
this phrase is the subject, the substance of what we, I've been assigned this evening. Everything else this evening will be an explanation of its intent and use. So the substance is faith is. So we have to look at faith. Now, it's interesting. If somebody says, what is faith? We say, well, Hebrews 11.1. 1. But simply put, faith is belief. So, in our circles where we care about doctrine and theology, we want to be right. But in making the gospel simplistic, I'm looking at my boys and I want them to understand. They can fight with you on these doctrines. But I want them to get it. So I need to make it simple. Faith is belief. And although that sounds normal to us, well, faith is belief, especially in the religious crowds or the reform crowds, yes, faith is belief. Yeah, we got it. You don't understand it. Think about the context of our verse like that. Now, faith, now belief is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction not seen. Do you have a better concept of faith? So what is belief? That's what's important to us tonight. It's looking. Belief is the act of looking to the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. You know the verse also well. Look to the Lord and be you saved. All the ends of the earth. That looking is faith. It is the instrument by which we are justified. The Scriptures say over and over, you are justified by faith. Abraham believed and was justified. So I want you to see this and not misunderstand me tonight or later. There is one faith in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Ephesians, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. So we cannot look at the word here, faith, and think anything other than the foundation of the work of Christ that justifies. That's the substance of what is meant here. So Jesus Christ and His finished work is the substance of faith through the book of Hebrews. You've seen it all week. Let me show you a place in Hebrews 4.2. It's become one of my favorite verses. They were evangelized in the same way we are. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they did not mix faith with hearing in their hearts. So they heard the gospel. They heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says they were evangelized. It's the word. Just like we are. The people in the wilderness. They heard it, but they didn't mix hearing with faith in their hearts. So we see the gospel is the substance of what we're to believe. It's the substance of what we're to look to. Look to. And that looking is the act of faith. We're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to look to Him. And the looking is the act of faith. So it is justifying faith that the Apostle speaks of here. 
but he is not speaking of it as justifying. So hear me. I, I do believe he's saying it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the substance, but he's not using it to show the justifying of faith. He's using it to show it effectually and useful, especially into our preservation. You need to hear that and understand that. So we see this in the context of our passage. Go back up to verse 39 in chapter 10. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Preserve their souls. We saw this warning in Brother Mike last night. The intent of chapter 11 is this. Faith preserves your soul. The use of faith is what's intended here. The idea that we must have this as we walk out our faith. So, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Two things are assigned to faith here. Assurance of things hoped for. And just a note for you that this word assurance is only used here twice in Hebrews and three times in 2 Corinthians by Paul. Conviction of things not seen. These things as for the substance are the same and they share the same word. So things, they share it, right? It's the things unseen, the things of certainty that we're hoped for. Let us see an application of them. These things serve us in preservation in two ways. First, they are hoped for. These things, whatever they are, they are hoped for. They are to have a present substance in our heart. So as you walk through this life, I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, but there's something that, that does something to you. I have something I hope for. And that hope is to have a substance in my heart. You need to see it like this. All of these men in this chapter have been tried through faith. They walked through fire. They feared. Their fear became less of man and more of God. They grew in their faith into faithfulness. And just like Bunyan does in Pilgrim's Progress, faith dies and gives way to hope. And that's what happens in the Christian life. These men began to be certain of what they hoped for and you couldn't take it away. And that's what led them in their life. That's what carried them. What are the things we hope for? That's very important. This is the essence of the Christian life. This is the essence of the church. What do you hope for? Ephesians tells it to it like this. He has given you all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's it. <laughs> the Colossians puts it like this. When he is manifested, 
I will be manifested with him in glory. That's it. We, in general, there are all the good things promised. Both things future and things present in our current state of grace. And things promised for future glory. It is the completion of faith that was begun in us. That's what we hope for. I won't always weep like this. I won't always stumble and fall. I won't always struggle with understanding a word in the Bible. The things hoped for in God, things to be received eternally. This is the great support for the believers as they walk under the burdens of this world. Remember that we would preserve our souls. So as we walk through this world, how do you walk as Abraham and Moses and David, Samson? What I hope for. I love what someone said of Jonathan Edwards. The glory that awaited him there was what carried him through this life while he was here. That's Hebrews 11. What what he hoped for was what sustained him. So he got to a place he wouldn't even eat cake because he he liked it and he didn't want to be distracted about heaven. I I understand that's extreme. And people say that's legalistic. I, I just think he was engulfed in eternity. He really was. And when people would mock him, You saw it in his life. He didn't care. Because his hope was set. And and Romans came true to him. His hope did not put him to shame. The problem is that these things are often at a distance in our minds. Because we fill our minds with so much lesser things. We fill our minds with Facebook and the the things of this world and this and that and this and that and this and that. That that these things look so distant and and we're constantly entertained by lesser things that that they seem so distant. And in that, the stability of our hope begins to waver. That's where faith comes in. We're turning to the Word of God and learning of them deeper. And then they gain substance in our heart again. And all of a sudden, we have weight to these things that are eternal. And it's not just a distant day, but a present reality. And and we are like Hebrews says, the one who's believed has rested as he's rested. Second, as they're not seen, the things hoped for and the conviction of what is not seen. This is a contrast to the temporal things. I'm convicted. I'm, I've received a revelation of what's not seen. I'm not only convinced that trees exist. I walk outside. I see them. I'm convinced of them. But I'm convinced of the eternal weight of glory that waits for me. And not only in faith. How do you know? (laughs) The Bible tells me so. Faith gives substance to our heart of both of these, of what I hope for and the conviction of things I don't see. But how do you know? It rules my life. 
Faith is the essence of these things and their substance. So, so faith in the Lord Jesus Christ sets my hope. And as I grow in faith, the substance of these things grow in my heart. And I fear the world less. I fear man less. And this hope springs up. And I, I agree with Colossians. I have died to the world and my life is hidden, Jesus Christ. When He returns, I will be with Him in glory. It causes them to be present in our hearts when we believe them. So faith works for the preserving of our lives as we have the substantial, su- substantial essence of what is hoped for. So, so you see that? So as I hope for these things and I believe in them and they gain substance in my heart, it preserves my life. Well, brother, why don't you buy a lottery ticket that's $6 million? It ain't enough. I've got something of substance in my heart that you know not of. Jesus, we got some food for you. I have food you don't even know about. And it's the substance of what's hoped for. And the revelation of the undeniable proof of what I don't see. This faith, hear me. Hear this. This faith makes the world not worthy of the church. That's what it says. These were men who the world wasn't worthy. Why? Because they had substance of what they hoped for. And they they were engulfed in eternity. What what was carrying them through this life is what the glory that awaited them. And, And so they believed. And that had real essence and substance in their heart. So the apostle gives two evidence of this here. And this is where we get into the strange part of these verses. Look at verse 2. For by it, that's faith, the people of old received their commendation. The words testimony. They received a testimony. Somebody bore witness to their life. So I want to show you this verse in four questions. Who are the men of old? The Presbyterians like this because it's the Presbyteries. Presbyters. That's the Greek word. It was the saints of the Old Testament. The men of old. How did you see their faith? Well, they, these men, these old men, had a testimony. Well, who gave them a testimony? The Holy Spirit and His Holy Word. We, we read in this chapter of the stories of Abraham and Sarah. How'd she make it? Rahab. Moses. Jacob. Isaac. Most of the testimonies of these men given were given contrary to the world. Go back and look at 10.33. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Go down and look at verses 36 and 37. Others suffered mocking and flogging. And this is chapter 11. And even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Then they went about in the skins of sheep and of goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated. 
the ones who have a good testimony by the Holy Spirit will not lack reproaches in this world. They have a testimony. You want to have the testimony like Moses, believe what Paul tells Timothy, you'll be persecuted. So what was testified of them? This is my favorite part. They had a testimony given by the Holy Spirit in the Holy Scriptures, but what was it that was testified to them? Look at verses 4 through 6. By, in chapter 11, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks by faith. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. What was their testimony? They pleased God. Let that sink in theologically. Sarah pleased God. Samson please God. Jacob, scoundrel, please God. How? Abraham, liar, please God. Moses, please God. How? How did they have this testimony of pleasing God? By faith alone. They did so many things. We look back and marvel. David killed a lion without a big gun. Moses parted the Red Sea. But it wasn't any power of them. They believed. They looked. So we see the faith of the saints of old were testified about in the Scriptures. So, So you have faith is the assurance of what we hope for, the certainty of what we don't see. How do you see it? The Old Testament, look at their lives. There's a testimony given to it. But how do we see it among ourselves? Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe is created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That makes a lot of sense. I want you to note something here first. Verse 2, the saints of old. Verse 3, we. First person plural. In the first In verse 2, we saw the faith lived out of the old saints. Now we see how the faith is lived out by the present saints. Faith shows its power in our minds and in our hearts when it gives clear understanding to the things that we believe. The object of our faith is here considered worlds. The text says, By faith we understand that the universe, the worlds, were created. By faith. Second. The the, the word here, created, very important, is not referring to the origin of creation. It's not the creation in chapter 1 of Genesis. It's the fitting of the world for something. So we, by faith, know that God has fit this world for something. This world was formed for a purpose, and by faith, 
We believe that. Second, we see how the world was formed, fitted by the word of God. He has purposed this world by his word for his purpose. And thirdly, we see the manner. So that what is seen was not out of the things that are visible. This is the point to the evidence of our faith. We, by faith, know that God formed the world by the word of his power, by his own word, so that we would know what reality is, is not what is seen. And that's the point, and it's very important. This idea of invisibility. We'll get to that in the application. So the application. Number one. Seven minutes. A superlative faith demands a superlative object of that faith. Right? So if we're going to speak of a superlative faith here, it's not the measure or the quantity or the quality of our faith. The man comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You need to know something. That faith is salvific. (laughs) I love Pilgrim's Progress. Faithful looks at little faith. He ain't going to make it. (laughs) Look at him. He's poor and destitute. And Christian rebukes him and goes, he has faith. So many today put so much on evidence, and we should. Without fruit, you, you, you can't be a Christian. But they want to put the fruit as the justification. Mm-mm. It's not. Faith, the size of a mustard seed, is salvific. He's not talking about quality or quantity. He's talking about substance. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking. I believe. So if we're going to speak of a superlative faith, it's not about our faith in the the quality or quantity. It's the object. I can have faith in the Green Bay Packers. You have faith in all kinds of things. But it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how small, that's salvific and justifying. We don't have time to go through this whole chapter and show you where this is true in every one of them, but look at verse 26. He, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than all the treasures in Egypt because he was looking to the reward. All of his faith was set on Christ. Second, A superlative faith produces superlative evidence of that faith. Because it's salvific. Look at verses, the whole chapter. We we don't have time, sorry. The whole chapter shows us this. Look Look at what faith did to them. They were mad. They were, they were, the world wasn't worthy of them because they were set apart by their faith. Should we not discipline our lives to live as holy men? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ? But lastly, and this is where we'll close. A superlative faith leads to superlative hope. That's the whole context of the book of Hebrews. 
You remember the invisibility from chapter 3, or chapter, verse 3? Now go down to chapter, chapter 11, verse 39. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That same word from, from verse 2. They were commended. They had a, a witness bore against them through the Holy Spirit, but they did not receive what was promised. They were looking forward. Abraham looking for a city whose founder and builder was God. Says, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I got lots of questions. Number one, what did we receive that they didn't? What is this invisibility? Chapter two, my, I love the text when I preached it. I wish I could go back and preach it every Sunday. He set all things under his feet, and in setting all things under his feet, he left nothing outside of his control. You may not see it. You can look out the window and say, no, 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 I need to see all things subjected to him. And the author of Hebrews says, don't err. Look out the window and it's a disaster. It's all subjected to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. It's the invisibility. I can, I can show you, we can go through the whole book of Hebrews and I can show you verse after verse. We don't have a lasting city here, chapter 13. Why? Our hope is elsewhere. Abraham was looking for a city whose founder and builder was God. Moses thought of the reproaches of Christ of far greater worth than the, than the treasure in Egypt. Why? He saw the invisible one. Our superlative hope is that first we have received the kingdom. What have we received that they didn't? The kingdom. The church. How in the world are they going to be made perfect in us? The only possible way is the church, is the gathering of his bride till that day we sit with him at the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb and enjoy that with him. The kingdom of God, the church, is what we've been given. They're perfected in us. In the same way Colossians says that we finish what is lacking in Christ. It's that we look beyond the physical, visible things of this world and we look to, as Hebrews 12 says, that which cannot be shaken. We've been given it. We've been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We don't look to this world. We don't look to the things outside. We look past it. And our response is worship. Having received an unshakable kingdom offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. So our superlative hope is that it's eternal bound in Christ. But church, let me tell you, we get so pulled by the things of this world. You must fight and fight and fight to grow in that faith so that that hope has substance in your heart and that it would carry you through this life. I want to close just with this quickly. John Owen gave his life to reforming a society. 
He became part of parliament, and they won. The great theologians won society. They had the government. And within 10 years, he's pastoring a small church, and it's illegal for them to meet on Sunday mornings. He was destitute. He was so sad. People in his church were sad. The, the guys in his church wrote a couple of books and it just reflected this time of anguish. What did we do wrong? And Owen comes to the realization, I sought something that wasn't Christ. I set my hope on something that wasn't eternal. And so he writes the book, The Glory of Christ. And he says, set your lo- hope on Christ. See him as he is. Behold him in all his glory and let that carry you through life. We only can do that when in the word of God, that faith is given substance to our hope in our heart. Amen.